Welcome to the Tiny House Summit. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I am here with Alexis Stevens. Christian and Alexis are the co-founders of Tiny House Expedition, a documentary and community education project. After building their own house on wheels, they traveled nomadically for four and a half years, over 55,000 miles across North America. During that time, they visited 30 tiny home communities, hosted about 75,000 guests, and created the Living Tiny Legally docuseries. Alexis, welcome back to the summit. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. And I can't think of anyone better to talk about, you know, how to become an advocate for tiny house legalization kind of in your own town or um, I guess where to start. I mean, I, I guess my maybe my first question is to you is, um, have you ever, you know, been an advocate for tiny house legalization in a specific place? And what was that process like for you? That is a great question. It is a big, complicated topic, but there are some, <laughs> some key things I think apply to anyone who wants to become an advocate, whether we're talking great. about the United States or other countries for that matter. But in my personal experience, I have helped support uh, local initiatives and mm -hmm. in a handful of different places uh, by attending meetings and uh, testifying in a public meeting, which can be, mm -hmm. which can be nerve wracking uh, for sure. You know, our whole process, the process of participating in government, I, I feel like yeah, is like a little intimidating, you yeah. know, in an awkward feeling. It's like, they don't really go into depth on this in like civics class in high school. <laughs> right, right. But this is where having, you know, teaming up with other people makes all the difference. And that's the context of, of my advocacy has always been with a team of, of other people, organized effort, you know, things that, that I've done is, um, for instance, uh, attending the ICC hearings a few years back when they mm -hmm. first approved the appendix Q, you know, we, we wrote, uh, you know, we, we wrote statements, um, that we coordinated as a group. Each person took a different, you know, they took a different piece of the pie and yep. together we weave together this holistic story about, and we had meetings about this to like really vet, you know, to make sure we were covering all the necessary uh, concerns um, that people, you know, that people were going to raise th things that we've heard from building officials. We wanted mm -hmm. to address all those points and how we could, and how we could solve those issues through a little bit of common sense, which doesn't always yep. end up in local government, as I'm sure many of you guys, uh, <laughs> you know, might be aware of. But yeah. by by coordinating and writing it all out, you know, we really created this incredibly strong argument, and I've seen that happen in various forms, and in lots of cities around the United States, and just you know, because you don't have to do it by yourself, and that's for the start of this conversation. That's what I want you to let let you know is because. This is complicated. It's scary, but it is very possible, but you're not on your own. Got it. Well, what's, I, I'm envisioning that there are, there are people going to watch this talk and they're maybe toward the, the early, early stages of, of dreaming of a tiny house, or maybe they're in the process of building one and, mm -hmm. and they're starting to look into what the laws are around them. What do you recommend? What are the kind of first steps in terms of going from just a, an observer to becoming active in in the process, the local process, which 
I'm sure you're going to say this is is likely already happening. So you you probably won't be the first. Yeah, at this point, that is actually a, a wonderful thing. You know, when we first started working on our Living Tiny Legally series in 2015, there was only a few U.S. cities that had changed laws mm-hmm. specifically to allow tiny houses on wheels or movable tiny houses, as they're also known. Um, yep. So, but now it's like I can't keep up, and that's so thrilling as an advocate to know, you know, that. I stumble across like a new city or county that has changed the rules and it just blows my mind. Um, but the very first step for anyone is you got to educate yourself. And so this, so by that you want to have a general understanding of what are the legal obstacles that, that face tiny homes. And I just Mm -hmm. want to clarify that I'm going to say tiny homes or tiny houses, but for the, this conversation, I'm always referring to the tiny house on wheels, um, just to, to let, let you know. But okay. so a great way to get a general understanding, of course, watch our films, uh, shameless plug there, but no, but it lays out what are the general obstacles. But beyond that, it's important to find out what is allowed where you live. So you got to determine what's your jurisdiction? You know, is it county? Is it the city? Uh, in some places you have, you know, you follow rules from both the city and the county. Mm-hmm. And so the way that you can dig into that is you can go, to to your city or county's website okay um to look up what the local laws are what the local ordinances specifically are um oftentimes on their website they'll provide links to these kinds of things if they don't there's sometimes you can be found by visiting the city clerk's office whether online or in person to request this information this is all public information okay um, <clears throat> So that's important. And, and if you, and there's also a great site oh, called uh, Munici, hold on, I wrote it down, municode.com. Municode.com okay. has a bunch of city and county codes um, in a public database. It doesn't have everything, but it has a lot. So through these um, various means, you can find your local laws in regards to, to housing um, to try to determine what's allowed and what's not. And if, you, if you're if you struggling finding it online, you, you can contact this, the city or the county. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is where just like, don't be afraid. No question is dumb. These people yeah. work for you. And I mean that the best way. We want to treat them with respect because honey is going to get you further than, <laughs> than yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, having a chip on your shoulder. But, you know, like... Even if you're not sure what jurisdiction you're in, you can ask them. You can call and ask them. But, um, you know, you can let them know, hey, I'm looking for any information regarding housing in my area because I'm considering building a house. Just keep it super vague for starters so you can get a hold of that information. And this stuff is not easy to read. So I just want to let you know because (laughs) do do not feel dumb. I'll just be frank when you read this. And I've, I've been looking actually very recently at uh, my local county, county rules for accessory dwelling units. Okay. <laughs> I've reread the things like three times and I've been in this world of, uh, you know, zoning ordinances for a long time. And I've read a lot and it, it hasn't helped that much. You know, it's, you kind of have to decode, but this is where, again, don't be afraid to ask questions to clarify. Because you might read it and understand it this way. And if you're not 100% certain that's what it meant, ask the question. 
Yeah. Yeah, those are all really great tips. I especially, you know, being friendly, being nice, uh, not making demands. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's true. They The people who work in these government positions are part of the government. And so they are kind of working for you, but they're also not, you know, they don't have to do exactly what we say. Make tiny houses <laughs> legal. I would make this okay for me. Exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, if you say you meet a staffer in the planning department, who's like really excited about tiny houses, that mm-hmm. person could be a great ally for you. could be very helpful, but the, you know, they can't make it happen. You know, this is right. a, a complex right. system. There's multiple levels. And that's, that's another thing as far as education is you want to learn about how, um, learn about how your local government works. Like what are the steps? And it, cause it varies a bit from place to place. There's some general, um, general ones that you find across the board. Like, you know, for instance, uh, a zoning ordinance will start at a planning commission Okay. Well, it starts with the staff actually preparing it, and then it will go to the planning commission uh, mm-hmm. to review it. Uh, they might send it back to the staff for changes, but if they approve it, it often goes to a city council, and they could do the okay. same thing. They could say, we have these concerns, and they send it back. But I want to pause real quick because I want to uh, go back to that uh, research. I So, yes, you want to find out what are the housing rules for building mm-hmm. and and zoning and zoning is where you can build different structures, where it's allowed mm. uh, and what's specifically allowed and any nitty gritty details, you know, like setbacks and, and whatnot. But in addition to that, because uh, especially in the United States, we have this giant fabric of rules that varies from place to place. You, it's also worth looking into what are the rules around RVs? Where are they allowed? Uh, mm-hmm. Are there any rules about camping on your own property? Are there any rules about how long you can have an RV stay? Mm. A common one you might come across is 180 days or about six months is how long someone could stay in an RV. It could be a lot shorter or in a lot, in many places, there's no rules at all. Where I live, you can get a six month permit to, to stay in your RV on your property. Uh, okay. And then you can renew after six months. But this is important to know because a lot of tiny homes are, are built to RV code still or considered as RVs. Uh, so if it's you live somewhere where that's more lax, um, that's very helpful to you and a lot easier. Um, but this is important to know. And then the, and lastly, you want to know what the ADU rules are. That's accessory dwelling unit. Uh, yeah. Because often a tiny home is parked on someone else's property. It could be parked on your property where there's a main house and you have a tiny house in the background, but often mm-hmm. there'll be people who rent land and say backyards or farms for a, a tiny house. And in these situations, that would be considered an ADU. So you want to find out, are ADUs allowed at all? And if so, what are the details around that? Yeah. So there's like, it sounds like there are some key terms to kind of comb through the rules for ADUs, RVs, temporary structures. Totally. And then, I mean, say, say you do that and you find what I would imagine is, is most likely for most people, most towns that haven't really addressed tiny homes, which is that there's some, there's something about like RVs that says like they must be within these setbacks and must not be used as a dwelling for more than 30 days. 
for example. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's pretty yeah. common. Um, you know, what can one do from there um, after kind that's of discovering like, hey, tiny houses might not actually be legal in the town that I want to live in? Right. Excellent question. Because after you find out what's allowed or not mm -hmm. allowed, then that you're determining what needs to change. Right. And so for so there's a host of, of issues that, that might need to change. One could be simply if you wanted to go um, extending um, an RV stay, for instance, um, having a classic classification for a tiny house on wheels as differentiated from an RV where they could allow those for longer stays, that could be something. Mm -hmm. It could be um, that your city says there's a minimum square footage requirement of 1,200 square feet. Mm -hmm. And this has changed in a lot of places, but I've talked to people very recently where this is a fact, which is insane. It says you can't build a house smaller than that size. That's I'm not going to get on my soapbox about it because that has nothing to do with safety, but it has to do with other factors. But that's that would be something that needs to change um, or um, or accessory units aren't allowed at all. Um, and in a lot of areas, this is becoming there's a lot more focus and awareness of this, even though there's really only a handful of states where ADUs are common. Um, mm -hmm. This is becoming exciting because. As you guys know, with the cost of everything going up so much, land costs are just skyrocketing. And so a lot yeah. of cities are actually a lot more keen to consider ADUs because it uses existing land with existing infrastructure. So that could be your in. And finding what your in is doesn't mean that's the end all be all, but it might be a good place to start. Because like if you're if you if your city doesn't allow ADUs, but maybe you found a local story where there was some conversation about it, that's an an excellent in for um, contacting the city, um, contacting a local official to set up a meeting to discuss that further, which could lead to an opportunity to give a presentation about tiny homes. Um, and, and that brings me to a very key point as part of this is, oh, okay, so once we've identified what needs to change, this is when you want to look for allies. And this allies come from different categories. Local government allies is a big one. That's kind of what I started to refer to. If you've, because like Ethan said, tiny homes are so much more common now that there's a good chance that at some point someone's brought it up to the city and someone made a statement about it or there was a news article about it. Mm -hmm. If you can find this and you can find someone who is supportive of it, um, that gives you someone, okay, great. I'm going to call city councilman uh, Brown, you know, because he said something supportive of it. And that's a really great in. You might also mm -hmm. find someone else who was against it. And this is very important too, because if they outline why they were against it, then you can formulate your arguments Mm -hmm. addressing those points specifically, which is a very savvy move because you, if you do have a meeting with someone, you want to have an elevator pitch of how this could benefit your community, what the pros are, but you, but being upfront with what the obstacles are and some arguments that can address those, uh, will, will come across very well. You'll come across as very thoughtful, not just someone with like a, a pie in the sky idea and, and then, you know, along those lines, if you can find another city or county of similar size 
uh, has some similarities to yours that's already approved tiny homes, well, then you have a fantastic roadbook that you can share with them and said, hey, I just made your job a lot easier. And I would love it if yeah. you could take a look at this. Um, so I'm going to slow down for a second. That's a lot of information. But um, these are the kinds of things that um, are going to help you create a, a very thorough, thoughtful, um, and hard to dismiss argument, um, whether you're having a, a one-on-one meeting with the city councilor, whether you're getting up at a planning commission that's talking about accessory dwellings or what have you, um, you know, that's, you, you, you need to be targeted like that. And there's, um, and, and this is where in the looking for allies, it's important to identify, are there other local tiny house enthusiasts who, Mm. um, who could help support this because there's power in numbers and, you know, and you want to, you want to be the squeaky wheel. There's like multiple fronts to go. This So showing up to any meeting related to housing is a great idea um, where you can get up and and testify. So they keep about and mention tiny houses so that every opportunity, someone on the city is hearing about tiny houses. And if it's just you, you might be the kooky lady, uh, but if it's you and five other people or 10 other people, you know, then you start to have more of an impact. Um, you know, if you ha- live in Idaho, for instance, look at the Idaho tiny house group, try to find people who live in your area. Um, associations like the tiny home industry association can help you identify those people. Uh, meetup groups. Those are less popular now, but you know, you might be able to find them also just chatting up people. If you ever just wear a tiny house shirt, even if you're a little bit shy, it's a great conversation starter, even to this day. That's awesome. Yeah. The tiny house shirt. It's a good, it's a good way to do it. And then, yeah, then people are like, oh, I am in the tiny houses and you know, it's your in for starting the conversation. Definitely. Definitely. And, and I suppose if there isn't a local interest group, but you meet some people who are also interested, then you could consider starting a local interest group. Exactly. Exactly. So, so there's, you know, and, and, and then you, you know, get creative too. Are there housing organizations where you live? Are there yeah. nonprofits who are looking at affordable housing? Um, also reaching out to like civic groups, um, you know, yeah. c- civic groups, they give presentations, you know, can you get on, can you get in to give a presentation? You know, um, the best thing that will help you is if in your networking, you find someone who already owns a tiny house or a tiny house builder, even better where you could provide an opportunity for touring a tiny house. Yeah. People love that because they're curious. But in my experience of attending various advocacy uh, meetings, seeing is believing. (laughs) I mean, I just, it can't be said enough that people can, people who have a, a distaste for tiny homes can come into a tiny house, look around, appreciate the quality, the homey feel of it. And it changes minds. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you've experienced it about 75,000 times (laughs) when somebody walks into your house and they're like, oh, this isn't so bad. This isn't so, like, I could live here. (laughs) And I always love that with our tiny house in particular because it's so, so darn tiny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a real tiny house. But Uh, so (laughs) I guess maybe, I know I've said a lot of things, but if I was to do a quick, a quick summary on some of the topics. So there's research, 
there's strategy, there's organizing, there's getting social about it. And if you, and, and then there's like a publicizing, especially if you have any event where there is going to be a tiny house yeah. on display, contact your, your uh, local news, you know, even put it, you got, you know, there's local community boards that have events, just anywhere that you can get the aware, you know, you can post about it and get, you know, general awareness is going to, is going to help you. And, and then, um, and then there's testifying and in this, that's like showing up to any relevant city or county meetings where, where you have an opportunity to talk. Um, yeah. And then and in this process, we are looking for opportunities to um, uh, create or schedule meetings with both staff and city officials to mm -hmm. discuss this further and to ask for the opportunity to give a presentation Um you know, you, you might be, it just doesn't hurt to ask. I know it could be scary. These people are busy. I will, I'll be frank. A lot of them don't like to do extra work, but if the easier you can make it for someone and the friendlier, the friendlier you can be uh, is really going to help you go a long way. I know some folks who've, who've been very helpful just by, just by being friendly people. Um, you know, are you think about someone who works on a city staff? It's kind of a thankless job. You yeah. know, if, if, if you can do something nice for them or just be very pleasant in the way you interact with them, it will be appreciated and noticed. Just imagine all the nasty phone calls and emails that they might yeah. get. I'm sure. I'm sure. What, what are some, I know that every town is different and kind of goes about this process in, in very different ways, but are there like, one or two kind of common paths that you see towns taking in order to make tiny houses like legal in some form? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, one that's one pathway that's been um, very successful um, in California, but in other states too, um, including Oregon, including, um, oh gosh, uh, Maine um, mm -hmm. has been accessory dwelling units. It's okay. It's a it's, it's a very great in because, like as I mentioned earlier, ADUs are becoming um, more accepted as a as a way to create more housing stock more easily. And yeah. the great thing about the movable tiny house, and I think part of why this has been successful, is because it can be implemented so easily. You know, relatively speaking, obviously we've seen backyard some backyards you know, could require a crane to get a tiny house in. So, you know, you have to, you have to think about that, but especially in areas with um, higher populations um, and all the single family housing that we have in America, there are so many backyards where yeah. you could have an ADU tomorrow. If you pulled a tiny house in, um, you know, some, and then some of these places have various requirements um, regarding permitting and infrastructure, you mm -hmm. know, are they going to make you pay a sewer fee? This happens in some places, and you know, and it could be, you know, your fees can be as much as two grand, or they could be as little as a few hundred dollars. So yep. there's a lot of nitty gritty. But um, long story short, that's just a very easy, easy pathway for um, movable tiny homes in a lot of ways. Also, something that's picked up, um, that's picked up a lot of interest are tiny home communities. Um, you know, it's not, it's not easy. Um, because land's expensive and, and land use is complicated. However, it does seem to, to be that a lot of municipal, 
municipalities take a shine to the idea of having a place for tiny homes. There's good about that. I have, I won't get on a total tangent. So I kind of find that a little bit frustrating sometimes because it's like, oh, they need to have their their place, like the trailer park that's on the, you know, edge of town. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but. No, I think that that is, you know, it's, I don't mind you, you talking about that because I think that is something to kind of look out for. And also, you know, knowing that communities that include a mix of different types of housing are, are generally considered to be more healthy and usually just more successful and thriving as communities. Oh, I so a hundred, hundred percent agree. And, and one of my, um, there's so many great communities out there, but one of my favorites is the Lake Dallas tiny home village. And Lake Dallas is a small town uh, that's part of the mega Dallas Fort Worth, Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, but it's in a residential neighborhood. Next door is a regular house. Um, I, I love it because it feels like it's part of the neighborhood. It doesn't feel separated. And mm-hmm. in the way um, when we visited last year and, and there's residents who are involved in the community in various ways, um, you know, they they don't feel like they don't feel othered, I guess, is the way I would mm-hmm. say it. Yeah, totally. Well, what are some resources that people can use? I know you mentioned Thea already, but, you know, you yeah. can say more about them if you want or just where what kind of resources yeah. can people use to get educated about this process? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Um well, a great tool for anybody that's free and available is the Thea resource map. If you mm-hmm. go to the tinyhomeindustryassociation.org, you'll see a link to the map and you can search by state for communities, mm-hmm. builders, and most importantly, legislation. So you can find out in that state are there, um, have certain cities, counties, or, or even on the state level approved tiny friendly yeah. zoning ordinances, building codes. Etc. Um, it's being updated all the time. I'll, I'll just mention that there's a lot that's on there, but there's more that needs to be added. And if you become uh, a member of Thea, you can get access to our library of, of webinars, including about um, all kinds of topics around advocacy yep. and, and more in depth about building a coalition. And also about, I mentioned communities, about how to create a community, because I know so many people love the idea of creating one. And so if you want to know realistically what goes into that, we got a webinar series about that. And even one, uh, we have one that's newer about putting a tiny house on a single lot. That's another very popular uh, dream for a lot of people. And I get it. Um, you know, having your own patch of dirt is, is pretty powerful, but, um, so yeah, please join us at the, uh, we are a association of, uh, individual, tiny homeowners, enthusiasts, builders, professionals, um, et cetera, who um, coming together to provide education and are actively supporting advocacy efforts around the country. And I would love to share just a very brief plug about two exciting things that happened this year um, regarding legalization. So the first, okay, thank you. So the first one is, um, the ICC, which is the International Code Council, earlier this year put out an advisory on tiny house model legislation. Mm-hmm. And it did two key things. One is it clarified that, hey, even though people think you can't build a tiny house on wills, a residential code, mm-hmm. that's incorrect. 
And we as ICC, who is the, the governing body over the International Residential Code, are declaring that, yes, it doesn't matter if it's on a trailer. It can be built to either modular residential code or stick-built residential code, which is mm-hmm. all the houses in your neighborhood. Okay. And um, now the caveat is if it's on a trailer and you're going to move it from a location to another location, there might be DMV requirements that you still have to adhere to, of course. So okay. but the second thing is it provides sim- simple legislation that can be um, put into any law regarding building codes that um, that gives some clarity around tiny houses, um, referencing the appendix AQ. It used to be okay. appendix Q, AQ, but basically it says, okay, the, um, here's here's what you need to know local municipality about what a tiny house is, and this is how it can adhere to buildings, residential building standards. So if you put this into their, if they, if a local city um, takes this information, puts it into their building code, then that means that you're on the way to permitting a tiny house on wheels as a permanent full-time residence. Now I will do a quick caveat to say is um, that does not mean that your tiny house cannot also meet RV standards um, because it can do both. You don't have to build to residential standards. That just, the reason why that's so important is that building standards across the nation use this document, these documents. So it makes, it can make it a lot easier for you to get accepted more places, but you know, it's not easy and the IRC could still be more tiny friendly. So the second thing I'm just going to relate it to this is they the ICC has released international tiny house provisions. And what this uh, is a resource for both building officials or anyone who wants to build a tiny house. It says, these are the different standards that are being used to build tiny homes. So residential, RV, HUD, um, et cetera. These are all the different ways that tiny homes are currently being built. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, and when, which one applies. So that's really important because this is, not only showing the menu of options that are available for tiny homes, but it's providing um, clarity um, for especially building officials uh, for their understanding of what's allowed. Because what cool. I've found is that depending on where you live in the United States, different things are accepted. In some states, they are very happy to accept RVs for full time. No problem. Some states, like for instance, Alabama, they don't, re- they don't really have building codes or zoning laws, there might be other requirements, but it's, it's not so common. And then in some places they're like, we only want residential standards. So for me as an advocate, I'm a huge fan of um, the more options, the merrier. And working within these established uh, standards helps expedite the process for legalizing tiny homes in more places. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks, Alexis. This has been like such a great education on, on kind of getting started. And I think I think you've given people a lot to think about and also a lot of resources and things to kind of pursue going forward. Well, uh, I hope so. And I just I'm so passionate about this and it, it's such a, a huge topic. It's it's actually kind of difficult <laughs> to like yeah. to, to break it down. Well, you did a great job. Thank you.